Crypto Watch is presented by theconstantinvestor.com. I'm Alan Kohler, and every day my writing and podcasts put the financial world into context with a focus on the issues that matter. Join us today. It's only a dollar for the first month. And now it's time for this week's Crypto Watch. This week's interview is with Kale Dittridge, who is the son of the great St Kilda footballer, Carl Dittridge who um, is still around and uh, still lives in Swan Hill on the farm that uh, Kale was brought up on. And so part of the um, part of why he's doing what he's doing now, Kale Dittrich, is because he's brought up, been brought up on the farm in Swan Hill and um, working for Grain Corp uh, as well. And um, what he's doing now is running a business called Block Grain. Uh, and he's got a token sale underway um, where he's selling these agri tokens, which are part of the process that he's got going to basically uh, put the agriculture business on blockchain. Um, and uh, basically he's disintermediating the whole, um, or trying to, the whole uh, agricultural supply chain, starting with grains, but also moving to wool, where people, where the buyers can get grain off specific farms and the farmers are starting to store their own grain rather than just sell it to bulk handlers. So it's a revolution going on that's already going on in agriculture. And what Kale Dittrich is trying to do with his business called Block Grain is to uh, facilitate that using the blockchain. Fascinating story. So here's Kale Dittrich, the CEO and founder of Block Grain. Kale, um, uh, tell us about your background growing up in Swan Hill on the farm and and then working for Grain Corp, and how that led to you deciding that to, to do what you're doing now. Yeah, no problem. So, um, so I grew up on a farm just outside Swan Hill, and um, you know, I think I was share farming small paddocks at about the age of 11 or 12 with my grandfather, and um, you know, I spent every holidays and actually probably the last four weeks of most school terms uh, in uh, or the end of the last school term, um, you know, on harvesters and just old machinery we had. And the farm was pretty old and small and, um, you know, largely antiquated. But, you know, I loved it. I was always cropping and spraying and uh, sheep work, cattle work, pretty much most of my spare time. And, you know, when I sort of grew up a bit and uh, realised the farm wasn't big enough to support an income, I, uh, I headed off and um, went to uh, went to university. And so um, from there, I actually started ag science, and I wasn't I wasn't a much fan of it, so I jumped out of that and went into um, into business, and then uh, you know ended up uh, doing an MBA, and uh, so I ended up working for Grain Corp um, down in Swan Hill, and that was great. Look, they were a great company, and um, you know I certainly think they provide you know, tremendous value um, at times to to farmers. Um, and from that, I sort of started to understand the trend around on-farm storage and farmers getting bigger and supply chains and probably some of the inefficiencies that we might be able to sort of stamp out and, and help, you know, if, if there was another system out there. And, um, yeah, that, that sort of led me going back to university. And from there, I started to, I suppose, understand more about business and strategies and, and how, how we can, um, you know, enhance value. and. From that, I, I started this business in around 2014, and, and uh, it's just sort of grown from there. And um, you know, now and lately, we've gone from a couple of employees to probably close on 20 employees, and um, yeah, it's all uh, all hands on deck. So you started the business in 2014. So it, it it was at the beginning 
what it is now, Block Grain, uh, a blockchain business designed to handle, um, uh, well, I suppose, grain trading to begin with. Um, uh, is, is it? I mean, is it a business that now, you know, what you'd call a that now makes money and is a proper business? Yeah, so we started out, it wasn't so much um, grain trading. What we started out doing was providing software for on-farm storage was our initial initial aim and and uh, on-farm storage and contract management and just being able to, you know, help farmers with their live position reporting. And we had a couple of test systems out there and we ended up formalising an agreement with Rise Agri, who's about 10 individual brokers who really want to try and enhance the industry and provide transparency. And and those guys were about fifteen hundred growers, so we selected a few of those, and we started doing beta testing, and we started testing inloading and outloading, and you know capturing receivable dockets. And from that, we realised that we pretty much had to build a whole supply chain software solution because there was nothing out there. Everything was everything was very much fragmented. So you know, different people had different softwares. Logistics companies may not have had software. Growers didn't have software, and there's nothing to manage your on-farm storage, your growing, your positioning, your contracting. So we built, and we, we built, um, and we're about to launch our, our commercial version of um, you know, native apps, and it's a basically a whole logistics system. So farmers can manage all of their stuff from the paddock to the storage, from the paddock to a bulk handler, from the paddock to an end user. Logistics companies can pretty much manage, they can manage their whole fleet, all their orders, all their bookings. Um, they can integrate with farmers, they can integrate with brokers, they can integrate with buyers. So it pretty much creates a very, very seamless independent solution for everybody to get value across the supply chain. And then about uh, 12 months ago, we thought, oh, probably more, probably about 18 months ago, we sort of think, oh, look, how do we make it so that, you know, we can start to really generate some value for farmers and start to allow them to export internationally and start and start to really put some some concrete evidence around supply chain and proof of provenance. And it wouldn't be wonderful if there was a technology out there that allowed for this and cut out all the, you know, the bills of lading, the, the financing, the letters of credit, the exchanges and all these other things, Forex exchange. And we come across blockchain and we started to learn more and more. And then eventually we, we got to the phase and I was saying, well, this is the technology we need. And that's when we changed from, uh, from you know, from Diderich Agriculture, I think it was, to AgriChain is the, is the company name now. And our key product is, is blockchain. Right. So, uh, okay, I didn't really understand that. So, the, the beginning for the first three years or so, um, well, I suppose up until now, you, you were providing a software solution for farmers who were self-storing. Is that right? Or, or you were actually more than that? Yeah. You were, you, you were basically a, a, um, a, a supply chain software. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And that's and that's still what we are today. We but we've just made it now. We put we're, we're using blockchain technology to really help enhance that. So growers and buyers and, and uh, can do contracts. Uh, they can integrate with the grain brokers who can do contracts all backed by um, you know blockchain. And then you can also do freight orders with logistics companies. So it's pretty much manages the whole supply chain now. And the idea is that if you if you don't do that, then you lose provenance. And if you don't have the capacity to pass data from from each person, it, it becomes a very slow supply chain. Paperwork's lost, paperwork sits in trucks for two weeks, um, positions aren't updated, it becomes very inefficient. So are you, uh, um, are you now using blockchain or are you proposing to use blockchain? Um, so we use blockchain through our test system. Um, we don't use it in a current platform purely and simply because the technology in blockchain itself is not good enough. Um, we believe it'll probably be another six to eight months before it comes to a stage where 
you can um, you know, do everything that we need it to do in the complex environment that involves logistics and storage and contracting and international payments. What we do have is our top layer of our new system, we do use blockchain, um, which is an Ethereum-based um, blockchain and just allows for payments in crypto cryptocurrencies. But ultimately, it will be some time before the industry is ready for, for our main driver, or I should say our private chain. Um, having said that, at the minute, we're doing numerous tests with another chain that we built. We built our own chain and our own system. So we're doing numerous pilots now with different companies around testing it and understanding how it works and what it can and can't do. Can I just get a sense of the, the scale or the size of your existing business? How many customers have you got? What sort of revenue is it? Um, so look, up until our beta system pretty much now is uh, it's dead and buried. We moved that out. So up until then, we had probably around 20 to 40 farmers that we were working with. Um, and we use them largely to understand exactly what's exactly what's going on in the marketplace, exactly how they need to use it, exactly why they want to use it and where the beneficial benefits are. It's been going for about two years. And those guys have just been paying, paying subscription fee around 30 to 40 bucks a month. Um, but our new model will change away from that and we'll go pure, purely into the, into the realms of, um, of you know, pay per use. And across the Rise Agri guys, I would say out of their 1,500 farmers, we will look to go out and um, I would say probably around 60 to 70% of those should be able to, uh, should very much you know, be interested in coming on board. Uh, is this, um, are these 1,500, the farmers, the, the, these are the farmers who are self-storing, is that right? Yeah, they're not only self-storing, they're running their own logistics. They're also using bulk handlers as well. Um, they use both. Both. So our system doesn't, doesn't say you cannot use bulk handlers or, or the current methods. It allows for both, so, yeah. I just, I'm just trying to get my head around how, firstly, uh, why the system doesn't work or what, what the problem is because it seems to me the system's been going for a long time. It seems to work okay. You've got bulk handlers. There's a, there's a, there's a pretty sophisticated supply chain. It seems it's probably a bit expensive, but it seems to work okay. So that's one thing. And the other thing is I can't really get my head around how farmers can trade themselves uh, with uh, end users of their product. I mean, um, it just like doesn't that. seem to be enough scale. You know, I just don't understand why. Why would a um, a flour mill buy a grain directly from a from a wheat farm? Well, it's so, a pretty simple answer, and basically that is prominence. So, you 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 look at um, society becoming a lot smaller now, and there's two things. When you when you go into a bulk handler, you're commingling a lot of grain from a lot of different farms. You have you know, basically you lose traceability over chemicals, you lose traceability over the quality, you lose traceability over, you know, being able to have any recourse over contaminations and recalls and things like that. So what happens is when when you start to build your own supply chain, which most farmers now, and I suppose to answer your question in one hit, is the amount of on-farm storage that's going in now is, is <laughs> it beats anything else on a, on a massive scale. So that pretty much says that farmers are building their own storage and farmers are basically supporting their own supply chains. So what happens from a from a manufacturing perspective is those flour mills, they don't want to deal with intermediaries where grain is mixed, grain is blended, different qualities come out, different flours, different different um, different uh, looks, different feels, different colours. They want to know exactly who they're dealing with. They want to be able to buy exactly what they want and they want to be able to do it just in time. And to do that, you can't buy bulk vessels. So if you look at from a mill in Vietnam, 
A, if I want to try and buy through the traditional methods, I have to buy a hell of a lot. It comes in a loose ship. I have to then pack that out, cart that out in trucks, store it at my facility, and then use it through that. That might take 70 to 90 days just to organise a ship, plus you've got to finance it, plus everything else. Or in about 30 days, I can buy direct off-farm, I can use a container, the ship that that goes on can go to any port in the world. I don't have to worry about storage. I don't have to worry about finance. I don't have to worry about storing that grain once it gets to my facility. I just leave it in the container just in time. Oh, so, it's, it's, um, in it's, it, so it's really containerization that's made it work. Is that right? Of, of, Absolutely. Of grains. Right. And that's, and that's the growing market. So the, the three market trends are, A, consumers want to know what they're eating, and you can't do that when it goes through a bulk handler. B, Farmers want to support their own supply chains and they want to invest in their own infrastructure, their own silos and their own trucks. And that is the massive majority trend that's going on at the minute. And C, uh, people want to be able to have just in time. People want to be able to, you know, go into containerization so they don't have to worry about infrastructure at the, at the point of manufacturing. They can just order just in time, tee up their supply chain and have it turn around in 30 days. I imagine... Um uh, the big trend towards craft brewing also is is helping that because small brewers would want to buy their own would would, would want to buy their own barley. Well, they want to do that, and what they want to be able to do is just tell a story. Like we're doing a pilot with the largest brewery in West Virginia, and what they want to do is be able to make sure that there's absolute immutability over their supply chain, and they want to show the customer what they're doing, what the process is. They want to show the customer this is what we do, this is what goes into our product. They can scan that. At, for instance, their version of a Dan Murphy's or the local liquor outlet and understand exactly what they're drinking. So it's it's huge. Now, we have the same system goes for um, clothing and manufacturing. We're moving into the wool space and we're going to beat it, beat it in fruit and vegetables. People want to know what they're eating and that's becoming more and more the trend. As the middle class grows in Asia, they've gone from let's eat to survive to let's eat smartly to make sure we're eating the best product for our family. So um, as part of your uh, blockchain process, you've got a token sale underway, which closes on 20, 24th of June. Um, yes. So tell me, what exactly are the tokens? What do you get if you buy a token? Yeah, of course, of course. So the tokens are what are used. So we generate, I think, um, I think we generated a billion of those, and that's it. That's it. There's no more. We then lock 30% of those up into a commodity fund that just basically uses an asset to back transactions and support transactions. So they'll never hit any sort of exchange um, and basically then they'll never enter circulation. So what happens is we go, the idea behind it is people use those tokens, I suppose, from our perspective, um, I had explained, the tokens are used to access our system. So every time a truck is loaded, every time a contract is done, um, to do the contract, it requires tokens. Every time you um, back an international contract, the underlying asset is is our agri token. So that, in terms of our system, it's a utility token. Now, why people purchase it is a a lot of our farmers out there are buying them obviously because they believe if I buy them now, I'll be able to use the system. Um, and b a lot of people speculate. A lot of people like to speculate on what might happen. Obviously, if you have a finite resource that underlies a successful business. The more people start to buy in, the more people start to use the system, the, the, the more demand for those tokens. And so theoretically, um, that has an effect on the token price as they sit on exchanges. So you're selling them in return for Ethereum, not dollars. Um, uh, and for Agri. Well, no, you're selling Agri's in, and you, you've got a, 
from what I can gather on your site, you you uh, people pay with Ethereum's. Is that right? Ethers. They can pay with Ethereum. They can pay with Bitcoin. Yep, absolutely. Oh, I see. Okay, so it, it just says here you've you've raised uh, five thousand four hundred and fifty-five Ethereum raised so far. Yep, yep, be something like that. And we've obviously cashed out during different price heights. So I think the pre-sale was around three and a half million dollars from everyday Australians. So we put that across. Um, you know, what generally happens is people go out and do these token sales. And the reason that people are doing them is, you know, the idea is to distribute wealth to everyone. Where, where you have a normal investment, an IPO, you know, by the time the consumer gets their hands on being able to buy that stock or whatever they're offering, it's been discounted so many times by the big investment house. So they're basically using they're using the average person to make money because they, they, they just leverage off their position um, what should happen in this world? This this crypto space is about spreading equality. And so we went out. We didn't offer any discounts to anyone. There's no one undercutting. Uh, we went out and said, this is our price. But no difference between the pre-sale and, and the public sale. Here's what our price is. And so we spread that across a 1,000 investors. We spread that across, um, you know, uh, just the general man, man and woman. And the idea is that when our token goes to the exchange, we hope that reflects um, obviously what we've done. We can't comment on what, what may or may not happen, but we, we hope that that's, that's the case. But the if, uh, is, suppose, sorry, go on. The problem in this space is most people now that are doing these go out to the big investment firms. They give a 60 70% discount to sell the majority of their sale and they sell the rest to the public. And they just leverage off the public to make money. So the big guys, again, went out. And the idea behind ours is not. It's about saying... Everyone deserves an opportunity. We're not going to discount to the big guys. Everyone, everyone deserves to be treated equally, and, and hopefully that's um, you know reflected in, in the outcome of our token sale. So I presume if you're limiting the number, you you'll hope or possibly expect that the price uh, will go up. There'll be a kind of a scarcity um, value. We can't comment, but um, I, I think you know we can't comment on what the price may or may not do because it uh, gets into some murky waters, but. Um, You'd have to do your own research around that and, uh, and work out what you think may or may not happen. So I've been reading your white paper. Just to summarise for us what the what you what the white paper uh, says. Is it possible to do that? I know it's fifty pages, but yeah, of course. Um, give us give us a brief summary. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So basically, what our white paper is a white paper is about is about showing uh, you know at a reasonable level what our business plan is and what we want to do. And our white paper says. There are so many inefficiencies in the supply chain. There are so many um, inequalities between a farmer and, and middlemen and mills. Um, there's so much value that's extracted, um, not only through the current processes by, by middlemen intermediaries, um, but there's so much value lost by blending your commodities with, with other farmers and, and losing that provenance. Consumers want to know what they're eating, where they're eating, where it came from, what chemicals are being used, and basically, farmers are getting so big now that they want to expand their horizons. They don't need intermediaries um, all the time. They want to be able to, to capitalise on their own hard work and support their own supply chains. So we build a technology that allows that to occur. Um, we've now expanded into, um, we're expanding into wool. We're expanding into um, fruit and vegetables. We have a beta running at the minute where the exact same principles apply. So all of these agricultural systems, and this is basically what our white paper says, um, are the same. They all require certainty of payment. They require a technology that allows to bring all that data and fragmentation together. And they and and by doing that, you can provide full traceability paddock to plate, which the consumer is willing to pay for. And if you look at things like the 
melanin scare in the baby formula in China, the, the price for for for, um, for um, baby formula in Australia went through the roof because people were just ripping off the shelves and sending it internationally. If you look at um, uh, it one of the main suit manufacturers who are who are now um, doing single origin wool suits and they're selling two to one on their traditional suits and they sell for a higher price. The point is, our white paper talks about why why we are where we are. We're following all the trends, not only from the consumer end, we're following the trends from the farmer. And, and if you bring those two together, then all of a sudden you have two people who all want the same thing, who are just looking for a platform to transact. It doesn't matter if it's fruit, wool or grain, that's the trend. And so we provide a solution that allows to link those two together in the most efficient way, which ultimately returns as much value to the farmer as we can. And that's, that's largely what the paper will talk about. And how much do you or can you increase a farmer's income by cutting out the intermediary? Yeah, of course. So, so, and again, I, I always stress this. It's not, and I know I say it, but it's not always about cutting out the intermediary because obviously there's value in what the bulk handlers do and everybody else. And sometimes that's the most efficient or the most, probably not the most efficient, but it does return the most value through some of the inefficiencies that are caused through it. The bulk handlers have to pay more money to the farmers, depending on logistics and arbitrage and all sorts of things. But ultimately, look, it, it depends on what you value. I mean, we, if you look at a, so give me an example. If you look at something like Clear Grain, just as a marketplace, generally they return $5 or so better per tonne than anywhere else. That's just as a marketplace outside of the current systems. What is Clear Grain? Proof of, so, sorry, what's Clear Grain? Clear Grain Exchange is the, is the largest grain exchange in Australia for, for domestic grain selling. Um, they've been around for a long time. So they're just a, just a grain exchange. They don't provide any provenance, but they run an exceptional business in just providing farmers with another option, another option to market. So, look, we believe just by cutting out the intermediaries that, that if, if this is the, you know, the supply chain that you need to choose, and we believe by building a brand, there's no reason why you can't throw on 5 to $10 a tonne just by being able to provide that provenance and the certainty around that provenance. And that's a lot of money because all of a sudden the consumers are able to pay more because they have complete traceability, which means the manufacturers in the middle are prepared to pay more for it. And we talk to it, we're in talks with a mill right now and they're setting up a beta system. Um, they're happy to pay $4 a time more above and above beyond a, a price that they already put payovers for just to know who they're working with, what chemicals are involved with that, with that grain and, and the quality. That's just one example, $4 a ton over and above you know, by being able to provide traceability. And that's one flour mill. Imagine if you could bring competition to all of these farmers. It sounds a bit like it's it's um, not so much about the, the money, although that's an important part of it, but the, but the ability to know uh, what grain you're getting or what product you're getting, whether it's wool or, or what it is, rather that's than having it. All, ha- having it all mixed into the same uh, to the same um, uh, uh, bulk handling yeah. Sh- yeah. Uh, ship. Exactly right, and, and that, that's that's that's. So we have commoditized grain. If you look at the evolution, it was about of, of the grain industry or the world. It was about feeding the masses, and that's great. And that's when big bulk ships and all that work well. We've gone beyond that for a larger portion of the world. Not all of it. There's still a lot of people out there that really just want the bulk commodity. But ultimately, where the money lies is in the consumer who wants to make decisions and educated decisions around what they're eating, what chemicals is it, is it buddy. You know, does it contain pesticides? Does it, you know, all those sort of questions. That's where the money in this industry lies. And to be able to access that money, you need to decommoditize what you're doing and start selling direct and start building those relationships and people will pay for it. So that's, that's ultimately what it's about. 
And it's interesting because, um, I mean, it, it's a sort of um, a real-world application of blockchain and cryptocurrency yeah. that yeah, that is, um, yeah. you know, that, that is kind of um, something you can grab hold of and really understand. Yeah, and that's a big thing. I mean, we, we've been on tour. I got back from Consensus. We were just, we just voted. PC Mag, one of the largest mag, gaming mags in the world, and, and, and I suppose IT mags just voted us. Uh, number four in, in, in all the um, crypto startups in the world. And the reason I think they did that is because it's a real-world use case. I and mean, in this space, there's a lot of pie in the sky and there's a lot of, um, you know, blue sky stuff. And, and I think some of the ambitions behind some of these token sales is, is it's quite outlandish, the, the amount they want to achieve in such little time. But they, they look at us and say, well, you're an established business. You've been out there. You've tested. You've trialed. You know what you're doing. You have customers lined up. Um, you know, it is a real-world use case. That was Kale Dittrich, the CEO and founder of Blockgrain.